What's up, fam? And welcome to another episode of This Connected. On this episode, we have a very special guest. We actually have a priest from Divine Word Missionaries. Divine Word Missionaries. His name is Father Adam McDonald. And Father Adam McDonald, I met him at the NCCYM in Florida in 2018. NCCYM stands for the National Conference on Catholic Youth Ministry. It was really weird. You know, you're, I was walking through the conference, and right there, this this um, Caucasian priest starts speaking. You know, I, I turned around, waved, said hello, and then some some priest starts talking to me in in, in Filipino or Tagalog. And I was like, I turned around and, you know, I see Father Adam. And, and it was just so weird that this this priest spoke better Filipino than I did. And so this episode, we're going to talk to him about his mission, his, um, his call, what he's been doing, how it's being affected by the current COVID um, crisis that we're right now, the COVID-19 pandemic, and how that's been affecting his mission to spread the word and what he's been doing, and with regards to that there's no public masses almost all over the United States and even probably around the world. So we're going to talk about that, and so hopefully, you know, you guys will get something, a feel of what his mission is, and learn a little bit more about Divine Word Missionaries. We'll be right back after this brief message. And it's a go. So we're back from our short break. And right here, guess who we have? We have, um, we have a special guest. We have Father Adam McDonald from Divine Word Missionaries. Correct me, Father, if I'm wrong with that. That is correct. Divine Word Missionaries. Yeah. And so I just wanted to tell people that that how I met you. I think I did that in the intro, and I met you actually in Florida. How uh, this uh, youth, former youth minister would end up in Florida, I have to thank our Diocese of San Bernardino for sending me there, meeting you at the National Conference of Catholic Youth on Catholic Youth Ministry, NCC. Yeah, NCCYM. YM. That's it. And mm-hmm. it, it was really odd, Father, that, you know, I passed you by and says, oh, look, there's a nice, nice priest. And then mm-hmm. you started speaking in Tagalog. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Surprise, mind blown. <laughs> it's like you literally spoke. Officially mind blown. <laughs> yeah, officially mind blown. It's the last thing you, you would think going to Florida and finding someone speaking Filipino, let alone a white priest. There you go. <laughs> God is full of surprises. <laughs> God is definitely full of surprises. So, so before we get started, Father, um, you know, currently we have the situation with regards to the corona. Uh, the COVID-19 um, mm-hmm. pandemic. And I follow you in, on Instagram. That's Father Adam McDonald. I forget your, your whole screen mm-hmm. name. But, but um, the last time I saw you, you were in in Idaho. Yes. And you posted a picture that it was almost like you by yourself at the airport. <laughs> Yes. I was uh, trying to get to the ICYC, Idaho Catholic Youth Conference, which was to be a statewide Catholic conference for young uh, high school kids throughout Mm -hmm. the state of Idaho uh, that would have taken place in Boise, the state capital, last weekend. And unfortunately, I was on my connecting flight on the way to Boise when I got the news that the event had been canceled. 
So what do you do when you're number six for takeoff and you're already <laughs> on the plane and you find out the news? So you take a deep breath and say, okay, God, get me to Boise safely and we'll take it from there. So the event was canceled, but uh, I did enjoy a weekend in Boise, uh, connected with the organizers of the event and uh enjoyed the chance to catch up on some rest and some Mm -hmm. work that I could do remotely. But uh, what you're referring to is my trip back on last Sunday, which ended up being quite an adventure. So I flew from Boise to Seattle, Washington, which, as we know, is one of the hotspots for the coronavirus. And having been through the SeaTac International Airport, Seattle-Tacoma, many times in the past, I was very surprised to see what a sort of a ghost town it was. Uh, Not to say there weren't any people at all. Uh, And those that were there, many were donning masks and such, but it was much, much uh, less of a crowd than I had ever seen before. It was a little bit eerie. And as you said, I captured a couple of pictures Mm -hmm. of the corridors and the concourse and then got on the plane heading from Seattle to Chicago. And this was an Airbus A319, I believe. Uh, According to the specifications I saw, it was big enough to accommodate 132 passengers. And I never did get an official count, but I'm... From my eye, and judging from all the empty seats, not only in my row, in the row across the aisle from me, but especially towards the back of the plane when you would go to use the lavatory, um, about the last six rows on both sides were completely empty. So I'm guesstimating there were about 40 of us on this flight. Wow. And so it's rare today that you have a seat next to you empty, much less a whole row and another row. And it's very rare that you get offered much more than anything but a cookie or a you bag got a of pretzels. I got offered two bags of Doritos, two bags of cheese crackers. I got uh, Oreo cookies. I got Biscoff cookies. I got Coke. I got coffee and water. And they just had enough food to feed an army. And there were just so few of us on the plane. So did did everyone decide to social distance themselves in the airplane or? So that's a good question. You would think that the airline would have accounted for that. And I don't think I said the name of the airline, so perhaps it shall remain nameless. But <laughs> this airline didn't seem to be too concerned about no. social distancing because as we boarded the flight, they told us to go ahead and scan our mobile boarding passes or whatever paper boarding passes we already had, but that we should be prepared to receive a new boarding pass because with so few people on the flight, they were going to move us to, quote unquote, better seats on the plane. But in my experience, what that meant was that we were basically right in front of each other. Mm-hmm. There was somebody in front of me, someone behind me. So, yeah, there was a, a cushioned seat, I guess, separating you. But it didn't seem like as distant as you might think that should be at that point. So Still people were close enough. Yeah, close enough. And couples were sitting together and some families were, you know, sitting together. So, Wow. But other than that, it seemed like a pretty routine flight, and they had some great in-flight entertainment. So I got to catch up on some movies on the way to Chicago. Well, good. That, that's good. So, so with all the things that are going on, and you get to Chicago, and again, Chicago, O'Hare, I, I, maybe that's where you landed, Chicago O'Hare? I did. Was it also mm-hmm. a ghost town? Yeah, so I will have to give the caveat that it was about 11 o'clock in the evening on a Sunday, last Sunday when I arrived in O'Hare. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to being at the airport that late. I'm more used to being there really early in the morning for an early flight. Uh, so I don't know how it is normally on a Sunday. And granted, I landed in Terminal 2. So again, I'm not naming the airline, but people who fly mm-hmm. to O'Hare 
here probably know it's not Mm -hmm. one of the bigger airlines. And in any case, um, it was really quiet as I got there. And most of the shops and and vendors had already closed for the night. So uh, I guess one good thing about it was that, boy, did we breeze through security. And there wasn't a line to wait for much at all. So all in all, thank God we had a safe trip. And uh, physically, I've been feeling fine since I came back. Uh, obviously, was concerned mm-hmm. that I didn't want to expose anyone to anything. So I self-reported to our health office here at our seminary to mm-hmm. make sure they were aware of my recent travels. And the nurse on staff uh, was checking my temperature. And so far, everything has been uh, clear. So, so thank you, God for that. you decide on your own to self-quarantine. I don't know if I'd call it self-quarantine, but I guess I would say I self-reported in terms of at least having been in the hot spot. I wasn't feeling any symptoms or any ill health at all, but felt that it was appropriate to let the people here that I live with know that I had traveled through that area. And so uh, they do want to monitor how I'm feeling over the next several days. Um, But what I would say is that as a community here in our seminary, so we run a fully accredited college seminary here mm-hmm. just outside of Dubuque, Iowa, and that's my home base. And it's Divine Word College Seminary, named right after the community. And we have initiated efforts to be in solidarity with everyone locally and nationally, even internationally, who are instituting measures and precautions for safe social distancing. So most of our classes have gone online. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have removed uh, certain numbers of chairs from our dining tables so that we have fewer people at a table. We now have two daily masses instead of one so that people aren't crowded in the chapel at the same Mm -hmm. time and extra sanitizers and uh, washing hands and things like that have been implemented. So basically the whole seminary community has kind of agreed to sort of be quarantined in Mm -hmm. the sense that we are not being permitted to do any traveling outside Mm -hmm. of the seminary campus for the time being. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a lot. But at least you were able to, you know, in the Diocese of San Bernardino, that's where we're at, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all public masses uh, have been um, um, suspended. And um, we were one of the last dioceses to continue to have public mass and was just canceled Mm -hmm. this week. Um, really, really hard on some of our people. Indeed. And uh, for a parish that is a missionary um, parish, um, Mm -hmm. our our pastor has uh, Father Al, a wonderful man, um, took it upon himself to try to really figure out how to do this. On So we're going to YouTube live. Wow. Uh, our bilingual mass and okay <clears throat> so we're, we're really trying to figure out and help them mm-hmm. with, with regards to doing that so we could still uh do that so you guys are still Indeed. able to have mass together yeah we're very blessed so we are not having any outside visitors for mass uh in that mm-hmm. sense it's no longer public it's only for the members of the seminary community so i'm on staff here with about 35 divine word missionaries mm-hmm. priests and brothers who serve in some capacity either as uh instructors, uh, people in charge of the spiritual formation of the seminarians. We have spiritual directors on staff, vocation directors like myself, and various members serving in administration of the college seminary. So we then have our student population of about 120 
here on the campus. And so we are having, as I mentioned, those two daily masses to try to spread ourselves out a little bit more in the chapel. But we have had to close our doors to what could normally be on a given weekday, upwards of 20 to 25 members of the wider uh, rural town in which we live. And mm-hmm. on Sundays, we might get about upwards of 40 to 50 people who come to attend mass here. So unfortunately, we've had to, as it were, disinvite them from that public invitation for the time being. Yeah, and what 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 can you say? Because um, some of our listeners are, are young people. Um, mm-hmm. What can you say to them? Because they've been locked up. This is this is day four mm-hmm. um, uh, for our young people who sure. who are not used to staying home, right? Uh, and uh, you know, and 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 they look forward to receiving the Eucharist mm-hmm. and and going to confession. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our followers. Are, are really devoted to their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, what words can you tell our listeners with regards to, I'm stuck at home, seeing the same sure. brother, same sister, and some of them mm-hmm. are, are single children. Um, sure. Uh, you know, some of our listeners are literal Catholic families who have more than mm-hmm. 10 people in their household. That's great. Right. Mm-hmm. But for those people who are, who they've been trying to find ways to connect, but mm-hmm. again... We are a very physical community. Yes, What what can you say to them with regards to this time? Mm -hmm. I appreciate that question. And I'll have to say that my question will be answered in a way that may surprise you or not because of my unique circumstances as a very itinerant (laughs) Divine Word (laughs) missionary. So there are missionaries who travel, and then there are vocation directors like myself who have been called road warrior. I've been accused of living in my car. I'm basically on the road and in the sky about 90% of the time. Yeah, it's always a red car, right? It is a red car. Someone <laughs> called it the Red Bandit the other day. It's a 2017 Hyundai Elantra mm-hmm. on which I've just rolled over 118,000 miles. So I've not driven the car for the last uh, 56 hours or so and counting, mm-hmm. which is very unusual because I average over 3,000 miles a month, which would come out to over 100 miles a day, yeah. if my math is correct. I was never good at math. But anyway, something like that. But uh, yes, so my answer is coming from the lens of I'm someone whose whole life and ministry involves uh, meeting with and inviting young people I meet around the country to know that God has a plan for their life and to invite them to discover what their response is to God's call and to engage them in that process. And so I'm promoting the community, I'm promoting religious life, I'm promoting vocations, but I'm also accompanying and walking with and building relationships with those who hear that call and feel called to respond. So helping them build their relationship with God, get to know our community, and walk them through a process of discernment. So for someone like me to basically have a big pause button hit on his life about Mm -hmm. three days ago, to be told that all of my travels shall cease for the time being, it has come as quite a shock, and it has been a bit of an adjustment. Now, I may be in a bit of a honeymoon phase at the moment, because as I say, I've not driven the car in in over two days. I've not been in an airport or on a plane for over three days. I'm not quite going through withdrawal just yet. So I think I may be in a honeymoon phase where it's actually refreshing to be able to stop long enough to to actually think about my life and reflect on where I've been and whom I've met and what I've been up to and what God has been trying to accomplish through all of this 
uh, busyness. Um, I know that I live a very hectic, busy life, and I know that we tend in society as a general rule to live a very fast-paced life these days. And it's interesting how many times I've heard but kind of ignored people around me telling me their concerns about the pace they keep and how I should slow down. And uh, so it's interesting to have that slowing down more or less uh, enforced by Mm -hmm. the situation beyond your control. So I'm kind of surprised as well at how, at least for now, I'm kind of enjoying uh, the more restful pace and the chances I say to just kind of step back. Sometimes I'm so busy living my life that I don't really taste my life, if that makes sense. I just kind of go from one thing to the next and and one trip blends into the next and I'm I'm with you now and then I'm getting ready to fly there and then I'm there and I'm getting ready to fly back here. And sometimes I wonder if I really do uh, become fully present to each and every Mm -hmm. opportunity, each and every activity, and most importantly, each and every person with whom I might encounter. So the value I think for me and perhaps for many of us at this time would be wanted or not, expected or not, it is at least an invitation to slow down enough to really take a good look at our lives. And the fact that this is happening during the Lenten season of all times is something that has not been lost on me. I've been having a rather deep reflection the last few days thinking that here we are, you know, blazing through half of Lent already. And what have I really done to kind of slow down and, and become more prayerful and and to really look at what I'm giving up or or giving into in terms of giving into God's presence more in my life. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait, Lent is really slowing down for me. And for the first time since Ash Wednesday, I'm really actually looking at this journey with the Lord uh, as Jesus prepares to pick up his cross and walk the road of Calvary on Good Friday, that it feels like we're kind of already there in Good Friday. Mm -hmm. And yet, I feel this profound sense of invitation to kind of walk more intentionally and closely with Jesus as I do so. So, all of that being said, one thing that's immensely helping me and that I think could be helpful to others is to remember that even when public masses are suspended, it doesn't mean that mass is not being celebrated. There are literally hundreds of thousands of priests around the world who are celebrating mass each and every day, very, very intentionally for the needs of us, of all of us, and that does not stop. You can you can suspend the public celebration of a mass, but you can't cancel God's gift of God's self to us. God, God in God's own nature is a God who desires to give himself to us, and so he never stops. We can't cancel God's love. And so that's, I think, something to keep in the back of my mind. Even though we're not able to receive God's love in all the ways and the particular ways that we prefer and have become accustomed to, and they're very important to us, perhaps there are new ways that God has been sharing his love with us that we have not necessarily embraced or looked towards. Mm -hmm. And that could be something as simple as opening up the richness of the Word of God in our lives. It could be something as simple as opening up the richness of creating faith sharing and Bible sharing opportunities in our lives where we get together with like-minded individuals and people who share the same faith to talk about uh, the issues of the day in relation to our faith and uh, go deeper into understanding our faith. It may be a time to think about the Lenten disciplines that we always talk about, the threefold pillars of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. 
and how those might be practices that this particular Lent of 2020 might become very rich and significant for us. And the other thing I would say is that technology that we have today is no doubt an immense help. I think if Jesus were physically alive right in front of us today as sitting in this chair, he would be doing exactly what I'm trying to do. He would be using all the means at his disposal and all the tools that we've created to communicate and to evangelize and spread the good news of God's love. And so I think Jesus would be all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. and WhatsApp and all the tools. And so given that we have those technologies, even though we may be cooped up in our homes and local communities, we can still reach out and connect in deep, meaningful ways with other individuals and other Catholics around the world. There are so many uh, online masses being uh, live streamed mm-hmm. and broadcast, and you've just mentioned your live uh, YouTube plan to, to sh- celebrate Mass. There are so many apps and websites where you can read the entire Bible or get the daily readings mm-hmm. or you know even do a Eucharistic adoration by webcam. I know of some convents that uh, have a webcam on the monstrance in their monastery chapel where you can literally uh, kind of be in spiritual communion with the sisters and with the Lord as they pray. So, uh, the technology that we have is so amazing to help us connect. And in terms of my own ministry, uh, just this afternoon, I was able to use that technology to finish three full days of meetings uh, through Zoom, a web conference with other vocation directors around the country who serve on an organization's board, uh, board of directors, that is. We are the National Religious Vocation Conference. And from all over the country, we were able to zoom in together and still have three days of meetings that we had hoped to have physically together in Chicago this this week, but had to move to the online format because Mm -hmm. of all the changes. And it was amazing that we were able to see each other, engage with one another. And I really do believe the Holy Spirit carried out some significant work among us these last days, even as virtual as we were in Mm -hmm. terms of our presence to one another. So, call me an internal optimist, but I believe that there are lots of perhaps hidden opportunities in all of this for us to get not only more deeply in touch with God, but perhaps more in touch with our own selves in the midst of this busy, chaotic world we live in. And also, uh, as you reference the fact that we're cooped up with the same people, for instance, you know, brothers and sisters we live with and siblings and things like that, also kind of rediscovering the richness and the gift who are the people in my life. Uh, sometimes I think as a minister, it's easier for me to go out there and travel 90% of the time and love the people I meet mm-hmm. that I'm not going to see again. And it's more challenging for me to come home and love the brother priests and religious brothers of my own community that I see the same faces at the table each day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the bigger challenge. So maybe we need to flip things around and think about if we can ask God to help us love those with whom we live, then the fruit of that love may be a greater generosity and more authentic way of being able to share the fruit of that love in love for others that we don't know mm-hmm. or haven't yet come to know as brother and sister in Christ. So, just a few thoughts on that uh, rather I, profound I l- question. <laughs> I love your answers, Father. And, you know, I was reflecting on Genesis itself and Exodus, and, and it's literally God saying to us, and it's just it's an invitation to slow down. 
mm-hmm. to slow down and reflect on and look at our own lives. We we live such busy lives that we are enslaved we with our busyness. Mm-hmm. Even as as Catholics and and during this Lenten season, when we should be reflecting and slowing down, if when you're working in ministry. It's mm-hmm. one of the busiest seasons that you can't really slow down enough to Absolutely. to reflect on the Lenten season. Mm-hmm. And this time, as you said, in our Lenten journey, it's an opportunity for us to really slow down and mm-hmm. look look at our lives and look at how we're serving. And Absolutely. it's a great opportunity also for families who are cooped up with the same people, mm-hmm. our children who we never yes. see, who we text <laughs> right. in order to to, for them mm-hmm. to get in contact with us, it's Indeed. it's it's. I, I love that part. Make peace with the person, the people closest mm. to you. Yes, and now they're Indeed. really close to you. Yeah, and eventually Perhaps they'll come down from their rooms to actually mm-hmm. stay in the living room with me, <laughs> and and be on this podcast. They were actually yes. on the podcast last night. Ah, uh, there you go. Course. Another thing I found helpful is that at least here in my local area, uh, we are allowed to walk outside on the seminary grounds on the campus. We're instructed not to travel outside of the campus, but I found it very helpful the last couple of days just to realize that, my goodness, I've been inside all day. I just need to get out and even take a walk around the campus and just air my brain and air my heart a little bit. And it was amazing as I did so how the quietness and the stillness of the environment around me as things have slowed down um, sort of collectively across society, that there was like this quiet that just engendered a sense of reflectiveness. And it really was, uh, I found myself kind of energized by that. It just gave me that kind of second wind of sort of realizing that, you know, life is going on as much as the changed reality of life is unfolding, that it still is a very good uh, God-given gift, and uh, it gave me the chance to kind of reflect on that and just step back from all the news coverage and, you know, mm-hmm. the technology, as I mentioned, is great, and yet I spent three days on online meetings, and so obviously <laughs> I needed some time to step away from that too, so, you know, to be to breathe some fresh air and to, to experience God manifesting God's self to me in the beauty I saw around me in, in nature, in the sunset and such that I saw was just uh, pretty awesome. Beautiful words, Father. I knew those Thank would you. come from you. But here's the thing. Yes. You know, I've, I've been talking to you. Our listeners are probably, well, who is that guy? <laughs> who is this who guy? Who is that indeed. guy? You know? Who is but, this white priest that speaks Tagalog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Right. Uh, I was actually going to do this in Tagalog, but most of our hey. listeners wouldn't understand. But Sure. But um, a question, Father. Um, yes. Just, just, just tell us a little bit about your order and then um, your vocation story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell you. So the Divine Word Missionaries uh, were also known as the Society of the Divine Word. We are a large international intercultural religious community. When I say large, I mean to say that we have over 6,000 members, about 85% of whom are priests like me, and about 15% of whom are religious brothers. So all 6,000 of us have consecrated ourselves to Christ as religious men, through the three standard vows that religious take or profess. Those are the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And then the primary difference would be that the 85% of us who are priests have received the sacrament of holy orders uh, to become transitional deacons and then to be ordained as priests. So our religious brothers 
although they have the religious vows, do not receive the sacrament of holy orders. Mm -hmm. So the equality and dignity of our vocation is grounded in our religious consecration through vows. And then we live those vows out in different ways. Some of us in holy orders as priests doing sacramental ministry and the brothers living out their vows primarily in various professional fields of of, uh, ministry to God's people, such as education, nursing, Mm -hmm social work and the like. So, when I say international intercultural, we were founded by a priest from Germany by the name of Father Arnold Jansen. I understand in German it's Janssen, but Father Arnold Jansen, Father Arnold Janssen was a diocesan priest in Germany in the 1800s whose heart beat for God's people around the world. And he was fascinated with the idea that God had created such a diversity of peoples in different cultures. Mm -hmm. And he believed the gospel message was something that God intended for all people and all cultures to receive and to benefit from knowing the good news of God's love. And so, as he started out his vocational ministry as a diocesan priest in his native Germany, he began feeling this need and this desire that the German Catholic Church at that time would begin to send missionaries out to spread the good news of God's love. So, the story is that he goes to a bishop with this idea, and the bishop says, you are absolutely right. When are you going to start this organization? And Father Arnold kind of takes a look at him and says, well, wait a minute. I'm not saying that I'm called to become a religious, but somebody should do it. So, you have to be careful sometimes what you pray for, because God then inspired in him the desire to start this religious community with an eye towards this outreach around the world. And so, with the focus on the Word of God, the divine Word, and that's kind of a twofold meaning for us, John's Gospel, chapter 1, teaches us that God was and is the Word from the very beginning, and that Mm -hmm. the Word became flesh. And so, we are to be missionaries who are grounded in the mission of proclaiming the divine Word, the Word of God's love for us in the Gospel. But the other part of that meaning is to say that just as Jesus is the divine word made flesh, that we are to enflesh and to give uh, a face to Jesus and to become Christ for others in all of our ministries around the world. So, since we were started in 1875, we have grown rather rapidly to, to the size that we are now, to the point that we would, with all humility, say that we are the sixth largest religious community of men in the Catholic Church. And very few people have heard of us, so we're, we're thrice as hard to get our name out there, right? Definitely and never heard of you yeah, until I met you. Yeah. And then you're in the so, Philippines. Yes. So, the Philippines is one of over 80 countries where we currently have a missionary presence. And it was a big boost to my own ego, if I could say, when I went to the Philippines on mission, because it turns out we have had a very long-standing and substantial presence as missionaries in the Philippines. A Divine Word has been in the Philippines for over 100 years. Wow. We have over 500 members in the Philippines from north to south. We run two universities throughout the Philippine Islands. We have a, a system of six colleges throughout the Philippines. We have numerous parishes that have parochial schools attached. We have uh, radio ministries. We have TV ministries. We have a lot of advocacy uh, for justice and peace in the Philippines and direct service of the poor. So, what I mean to say is that when I went there on mission and I told people I was a divine word missionary, and we use the initials from Latin 
for the name of our community. So we use the initials SVD, which stands for in Latin Societas Verbi Divini, Society of the Divine Word. So we're often known as the SVD uh, missionaries mm-hmm. or the SVD fathers and brothers. So I go to the Philippines and they find out I'm an SVD and they say, oh, the SVD, I went to one of your schools or father baptized my child or <laughs> my, my aunt graduated from the university. And so it was a real boost because come to find out we're very well known in the Philippines and in other parts of the world where mm-hmm. our missionaries are very prominent. So here in North America, we're still working on getting our name out there more, but there are places like the Philippines where we are quite well known. So our ministries take a diversity of textures and complexions. And part of that is the fact that our founder, Father Arnold, really believed that if we were going to spread the good news of God and the gospel around the world, we would need to pay attention to what are the particular needs of God's people in the places we go to serve. So rather than giving us a sort of a cookie cutter approach to mission or a one dimensional approach, he basically instructed us to go and to be in conversation with the people we serve to determine together what needs to happen in a particular place so that the kingdom of God can be visible and that the word of God can be proclaimed and witnessed. And so that's part of the reason why our ministries are so diverse because peoples, uh, the diverse peoples of the world need different things in different places. And so we tend to be very adaptable and flexible and creative of looking for how we can respond to the needs. And as we all know, how those needs evolve so rapidly, as we've seen in recent days. How are we responding, not just to the needs of 100 years ago or last week, but the needs as they are now, and how do we shift our focus? The good news for the young women who are listening to this is that our founder, Father Arnold, had the insight that missionary work was and is the responsibility of women as well. So he not only started one but two religious communities of women. So if Divine Word was founded in 1875, come along in 1889, Father Arnold starts the Holy Spirit Missionary Sisters. They're an apostolic religious group of about 3,000 sisters who, like Divine Word missionaries, mm-hmm. serve God's people in a variety of ministries in about 50 countries around the world. And as if that's not enough, in 1896, Father Arnold had the insight to start a fully cloistered, contemplative, or monastic group of sisters known as the Holy Spirit Missionary Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. If you can say that three times real fast, (laughs) you get an A+. We more commonly and easily call them the Pink Sisters because they wear a rose or pink colored habit. And from the Philippines, you may know the Pink Sisters are quite prominent there. And so, Father Arnold's idea was that the Pink Sisters would make it their mission to pray before Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament specifically for God's blessing upon the efforts of the Divine Word Missionaries and Holy Spirit Missionary Sisters to bring God's love and the gifts of the Holy Spirit to God's people and for the needs of God's people around the world. So I hate to break it to you. I get first (laughs) dibs on their prayers. Their whole mission is to pray for me first, and you come in a close second. So all of God's people are included in their prayers. And so there are about 350 pink sisters around the world. So if you put all of that together among the three communities, we say that we are about 10,000 men and women who are now spiritual sons and daughters of uh, Father Arnold. And now I'm happy to tell you that he is St. Arnold Jansen as of 2003. Thank you, 
uh, Saint Pope wow. John Paul II, who canonized him. So we are his spiritual sons and daughters uh, serving all around the world. What I like to say is that the Divine Word Missionaries and Holy Spirit Missionary Sisters, we are responsible for taking Christ to the world, and we literally go to the ends of the earth to do that. And the Holy Spirit Adoration Sisters, the Pink Sisters, their role is to bring the world to Jesus mm-hmm. in their prayer. They collect all the hopes, the dreams, the needs, the pains, the sorrows, the petitions of God's people, and they petition God in prayer on behalf of God's people. So it's really beautiful to think that Father St. Arnold Jansen had that vision of some of us taking Christ out into the world and others being committed to bringing the world to Christ in prayer. And I tell you, we look at ourselves sometimes and scratch our heads and say, how did we get so big so fast? And how does God continue to bless us with vocations Mm -hmm. to our communities as we're growing internationally? And we think it has to be because we have this group of sisters whose sole mission is to pray for God's blessing upon our efforts. And it really has been a tremendous spiritual foundation for us from the very beginning. So, how that's, does a young man from <laughs> near Detroit, Michigan? That's uh, my, my next is, question. Yeah, what is your vocation story? So, uh, mm. how does a young man from uh, a place that you've probably heard of? It's about an hour north of Detroit in Michigan, and it is famous or infamous because of its water problems. Oh. Have you ever heard of Flint, Michigan? Oh, Flint, Michigan. True story. Born and raised. Uh, we used to say that I turned out like this because of the water, but. We <laughs> don't say that anymore. So, yeah. So, I was growing up in Flint as one of six children in a quite religious family, religious in the sense that my mother literally went to a convent after high school, wanted to be a nun her entire life. She lasted about two weeks and then decided it was too strict, and she found her true vocation to get married. My father, likewise, I like to say, is sort of like a deacon without the ordination. He's always been and continues to be very active in the church in many ways, but likewise found his vocation to marriage and that of a music teacher at a community college. So, my parents raised us in a very religious home. Uh, Sunday Mass was a given. We were not fortunate enough uh, to be able to afford to go to Catholic school for most of my primary and secondary education. So, we did go to public school, but religious education and or Sunday school and or religious education, CCD, uh, different terms for it, Mm-hmm. was a given. And the fact is that, uh, yeah, we prayed before meals, we prayed before bed, all of that was kind of the landscape. However, I myself did not find a lot of relevance and meaning in my faith at a young age. It was kind of boring. I really didn't understand it. It felt like something I had to do because mm-hmm. my parents required it of me. And I'm sure no young people listening to this can oh, relate of course to that not. at all. Right. This is a totally new story. (laughs) So, in the midst of that, being the fifth of six children, at one point there was that justice issue which creeped in. What I mean to say is that, okay, my older siblings were getting into that rebellious phase where they were, you know, dodging or skipping church or, you know, saying Mm -hmm. they were going here but not really doing it. So, then the justice issue became as a younger middle child, well, why do I have to go if they don't? Right. So my parents, you know, I gave them a hard time with that for a while. So long story short, this is basically the landscape where I'm offered all these opportunities by my parents to make sure I'm brought up in the faith. But it's kind of like I'm being being offered a gift, but I just kind of put it on the shelf and I never really open it. That's kind of how I lived much of my life. The gift was there, 
but I never opened it. So come to my second year of high school, I'm going to the public high school, Flint Central High School, and I'm 15 years old, and the phone rings one day, and it's the pastor of my parish calling my parents to ask if I, of all the six kids in the family, would portray one of the 12 apostles on Holy Thursday in the washing of the feet. So my parents come to me with this question, and I kind of look at them, you know, as if they have two heads. I'm like, washing Mm -hmm. my feet? What do you mean? I wash my feet every day. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, it kind of went over my head. So, uh, again, the young people listening to this can't relate to this at all. But the reason why I said yes wasn't because I desired some profound encounter with God's love, but I just wanted my parents to stop talking about it. They thought it was like the Pope was coming to visit our house. It was so exciting. So I finally just said, okay, I'll do it. Fine. Just be quiet. <laughs> right. So that was literally my motivation just to please and uh, quiet my parents down. So Holy Thursday comes along that year, my second year of high school. I don't want to reveal the year. I don't know my age for sure, but it was a long time ago. And we find ourselves at church. My arms are literally crossed as I sit in the chair in the sanctuary waiting for my feet to be washed. And what I remember going through my head was this Mass is going to be so long and so boring. And the worst part is it's Mass at night. And that's when all the good (laughs) TV shows are on and all the things I could be doing. So that's where I'm at. Okay. So Father comes down the line. All 12 of us are there, lined up uh, like uh, special suspects, I guess you could say, in front of the sanctuary. There you go. I had already washed my feet twice that day, just to make sure, right? And so, Father comes along and washes my feet. And this is where things get interesting, because the easiest way to try to describe what otherwise sounds kind of crazy is that when Father was kneeling in front of me, washing my feet, I literally felt as if Jesus himself was washing my feet. And I know it sounds really like easy to mm-hmm. say that, but what it felt like was it was kind of humbling and humiliating all at the same time. I mean, my feet aren't necessarily my most prized part of my body that I appreciate very much. Um, a little sweaty and stinky from time to time. So I was kind of embarrassed to have my feet washed in a way. It was it was kind of humbling and humiliating, as I say. But the humility I saw in the priest that I interpreted as the humility of Christ, who set the example for Father to do what he was doing, is what struck me. Yes. And all of a sudden, I felt this profound sense of God's love for me in a way that I had never experienced before. God's love for me had always been a thought in my head. It had been a word in my parents' mouth. And it was like, okay, I get it. I know God is love. God loves me. Okay, that's it. Can I just go play my video games? And all of a sudden, it's like it went from my head to my heart. And it was the first time I felt in every fiber of my being, in every uh, fiber of my being, that God doesn't just know that I exist out of all the billions of people in the world, but that God knows me by name. And God loves me for who I am. And it wasn't lost on me that we had just heard the gospel Mm-hmm. in which is recounted how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples on the night of the Last Supper. And to think that he washed the feet of Peter, who would deny him, and he washed the feet of Judas, who would betray him. And he didn't pick and choose whose feet he washed and whom whose feet he didn't. And the fact that he knew me and he loved me anyway, he knew everything I had done and never done, what I had failed to do and what I had said and not said that, that wasn't so good. And in all of that, he still washed my feet, and I was just overcome with this profound sense of peace. So, a couple of days go on, and this peace just begins to resound in my heart. 
And I begin to really start to look up and pay attention and kind of like notice what's happening around me. And my eyes start to kind of fix on the priest and seeing what he's doing. And he was the one that had washed my feet, Father Matt. Uh, Father Matthew had been our pastor for mm-hmm. years and years. And um, I had never consciously thought about being a priest at that point, but I, I kind of had the thought that if I ever did become a priest, I would want to be like him. He was just such a picture of, of humility. You could just feel that he was like Jesus to us, um, yes. the people of the parish. And so, I got this crazy idea thinking like, well, wait a minute. It feels so amazing to know that God loves me, and it's given me this profound sense of peace. But when I look around, and I look around the dinner table, and I look around the classroom, and I look around the youth group and all the circles I was in, people seemed so unaware of God's love for them. People didn't seem to have this joy and this electricity that I was feeling. So, I began to wonder if God hadn't given me this gift, to go back to that image I used earlier, and not only to open the gift— but to share the gift. Yes. So, I, I had had this gift on the shelf all these years, the gift of faith that I've been given by my parents in baptism. So, I finally brought it down from the shelf. I opened it up, and I discovered this profound sense of peace and joy and knowing God's love for me. But I also found this, this desire to share that gift because I felt like it was a gift that so many don't realize exists or haven't appreciated or opened like I had not done. And that was the first inkling I ever had that God could be calling me to a religious vocation. It's a bit of a longer story to go from, you know, how everything unfolded from there. But needless to say, I began already at that young age in high school to kind of, you know, speak to people. I spoke to my parents. I spoke to my priest. I got involved with uh, speaking with the vocation director of the diocese, and they had a a group for um, young people. Uh, in high school who were already thinking about priesthood that we could get together with the vocation director and and talk about uh, religious vocations and prayer. And of course, there was always some fun involved as well in those meetings. And it just kind of encouraged and supported the idea of being open to God's call. So, what I knew was diocesan priesthood. How did I end up joining a religious (laughs) community and one of missionaries? Well, the fact is that you don't always seek God's love in your life, but God is always seeking us. Think about the fact that my motivation to be there and have my feet washed that night of Holy Thursday was just to get it over with and please my parents. But mm-hmm. God was not deterred by my lack of motivation because God was very motivated to be a part of my life. And the fact that I was in the chair, that I'd consented that much to being there that night, gave God the opening God needed to say, okay, he's opened the door this much. I'm going to break it wide open. So, with all that happening, God did it again. Mm -hmm. I'm in my third year of high school. I've now figured out my life from having no idea about the importance of faith in my life to I want to be a priest in a rather short amount of time. Uh, God can work that way, too. I kind of had everything figured out. Thought this is great. I'll be a diocesan priest. I'll share God's love. Everybody's going to know God loves them. The world's going to be a better place. Praise God. Amen. So, God then inspired a postcard, literally, to show up in our family mailbox one day during my junior year of high school. And would you believe it was a postcard from the Divine Word Missionaries? And from the college seminary, where I live again now, and I'm speaking to you from right now, and the admissions office of the seminary subscribed to a referral service 
through ACT, the American College Test. So Mm -hmm. any juniors out there who have taken the ACT or SAT, look out, because that's how they got my name. (laughs) I somehow must have indicated in the personality inventory that was part of the test when it talked about future interests for studies and careers, it paired me with Divine Word College Seminary. I had never heard of it. I had never met a Divine Word Bistro in my life. I wouldn't even have known if I wanted to meet one if I had heard of one. And so I don't know that I looked for my religious community, but it found me and God found me with the invitation to become aware that you could be a priest and you could serve God and share God's love, but you could also do it in many parts of the world as a missionary. And that was something that spoke to the deepest part of my interest in kind of like going back to Father Arnold, being aware of the the world and its cultures, and just a, a desire to be part of helping the world be more connected. I had always felt that as a young person. Yeah. I had begun studying uh, languages in high school already. I was studying uh, the French language in high school, and my stated ambition was to be an ambassador for the United Nations. And uh, it would impress people so much when I would say that, so I'd say it all the more, you know. (laughs) And uh, I had no idea how you become an ambassador for the United Nations, but I think it bespoke this interest in knowing that there's a bigger world than the world that's in my head and there's a bigger world beyond just me there are a lot of other people in this world and i want to know who they are and i want us to kind of know that we belong to one another in god's family on this earth that we share and so that was already kind of i don't know if i could have said that at the age of 16 but i think that was kind of somewhere in my awareness and so when i found out that you could do that as a missionary i said wait a second Plan B. <laughs> I had to call the vocation director of the diocese and say, you know, there's this thing called divine word. And he said, divine what? <laughs> he had never heard of it. And, uh, you know, here I am all these years later. So I've been in religious vows now for 25 years, and I've ordained as a divine word missionary priest for the last 20 years. So all wow. stemming from that postcard as the initial invitation to know about and consider a vocation to my community. So God can use and will use even the seemingly most random and insignificant of minute details in our lives to give us significant clues to his call and how we're invited to respond. That That's such a profound answer. Um, and a profound story because there are a lot of youth out there who who are you know they're so in love with the faith but their friends are not um, mm-hmm. you know I have a lot of young men who who are like I'm so excited but the rest of the world the rest of the frozen chosen are just mm. just going by and and I don't understand why mm-hmm. and they they share the same stories that you have father and yeah. and and um, you know it's it's redirecting them to to say just listen mm-hmm. and so my question here is what advice would you give that young person a high school mm-hmm. age or older who may feel that the lord is calling him or her to Absolutely. religious life for the priesthood yes i love that question i'm so glad that you asked it the first question the first response i would give would be to say that you know, I was so young when I first felt the inkling of a religious vocation, and I've had to be very conscious now, serving as vocation director, that I don't become that guy, or, you know, if I were a woman, I could be that sister, as a vocation director who would tell a young person that you're too young 
and you mm-hmm. should, you know, live your life first and and think about it later. Because I was so young when I felt God's call and it's led me to where I am now, who would I be to tell anyone how God can or cannot work in their life? I feel it's my role to encourage and affirm and support the thought or feeling that someone might have of being open to a call. It doesn't mean to say that they'll be able to necessarily join tomorrow. I mean, there are requirements of, for instance, finishing high school first. and Some communities may want you to get a college degree first. There may be goals that you have to achieve and accomplishments that have to be sought first, but that does not mean that you can't begin your vocational journey of asking God to reveal himself to you and to get to know more about God and your faith And so the first is I would want to encourage that young person to simply know that, yes, God could be calling you and uh, see it, if nothing else, as an invitation to get to know more about your faith. In order to get to know more about your faith, the second part of my advice would be to really commit yourself to practicing your faith and getting to know your faith well. We know that practice makes perfect, so we do Mm -hmm. have to work at it. So the more that we spend time in prayer, the more that we uh, engage in the celebration of the sacraments, the more that it's going to become part of our lives and we can have the chance to discover the richness and the beauty of these um, traditions, the rituals, and the way that God's grace comes to us, but also receive the benefits and the grace and the support and the encouragement that comes from these celebrations. Uh, Getting to know our faith through reading scripture, getting to know our faith through uh, asking questions, getting to know our faith through doing spiritual reading, talking to people who are close to the Lord, such as our parents, our grandparents, youth ministers, pastors, sisters, any religious people that we know or people that are, are really active in their faith, you know, ask them to share their stories of how they have come to know God and what they know of God's love. Uh, All very affirming ways of one, a young person growing in their faith. I would also say, uh, perhaps as a third part of my advice, that I would, um, along those lines, encourage a young person to really take advantage in a good way of the wide amount of information that is ready readily available at your fingertips. We talked about technology earlier. Mm -hmm. An amazing way that religious are using technology today is to be present online. And so, unlike waiting for a postcard to show up in your mailbox, uh, which seems so random to me many years ago, uh, had I had the chance to have Google in those days, I could have Googled the Divine Word Missionaries <laughs> or looked at their website or their Facebook page or their Twitter feed. Every religious community is at least going to have a website. And many are now very active on social media. And what I propose is that you do some research with the appropriate permissions of your parents and the guidance of adults in your online use, of course. You can safely look at, do research, and find out troves of information online about religious life itself. What is it all about? What does it mean? Um, you know, how do you go about pursuing this call? And all of those websites and social media pages will have additional resources and tips for growing in one's faith and in one's discernment. So that's another bonus there. So doing some research, uh, you can do that from the safety of your home. Maybe while you're cooped up right now and mm-hmm. can't go out, you could spend some time safely online uh, looking at those very wholesome websites and social media pages. A fourth part of my advice is that a very specific resource online, and this may blow your mind, is that we actually have a resource called Vocation Match. (laughs) It's kind of like eHarmony for religious life, believe it or not. It's not swipe left, swipe right. No, No. believe it or not. Um, The site you want to go to is Vocation Network. 
vocationnetwork.org. And at vocationnetwork.org, you'll find two things. One is called Vision, just like the sight of your eyes, Vision, V-I-S-I-O-N. And Vision is an online and print resource with uh, tools, tips, articles, and videos for discernment, as well as a catalog listing of religious communities around the United States, both of mm-hmm. men and women, contemplative, monastic, missionary, all forms of religious life. So again, all of this is available right online. The other part of vision that is offered is this vocation match. So in vocation match, you build a profile. It asks you a series of questions about your background. And again, you're going to want the permission of your parents and perhaps Mm -hmm. their guidance as you do this safely if you're under the age of 18. But you can build a profile and kind of what your interests are, what kind of service you currently do, or what kind of service you might have been interested in doing in the future. And it will actually at the end, give you the results of religious communities that match your profile. And then you can visit the websites and social media pages of any of those communities. And if you're over the age of 18, with the permission of your parents, you can contact those communities or allow your information to go to them so they can contact you. So Vocation Match is a great resource. And then finally, I'm going to recommend that if one is going down the line and really beginning to feel encouraged in this thought that they're open to religious vocation. Once they have made that contact with the religious community, every religious community is going to have certain types of events Mm -hmm. where they're going to open their doors and invite young people to come and visit, whether it's for a day program, an evening program, maybe to come and pray with the community or have dinner or play cards. Some will have a more formal sort of a weekend discernment retreat or come and see visit. And again, uh, just being aware of the rage of angels of our listeners, these may be things that are more appropriate to someone in the later high school years or, or Um, high school graduates. Um, But each community will have these different opportunities. So part of it is when you're looking through the window online and you kind of, you know, kind of window shopping at these different communities, at some point you need to walk into the store and actually try things on and see how they fit. And that would be that invitation to actually take the step of maybe talking to a vocation director or getting in touch with the community and saying, hey, uh, when do you have an opportunity for me to come and visit? And that kind of thing. And then finally, it seems like I say finally a lot, and I think of three more (laughs) things, but I think this is the final finally would be uh, that it's very much encouraged, and it's a really, really uh, profound gift in our Catholic tradition, the whole gift of spiritual direction or spiritual accompaniment. So at some point, as someone ages uh, and matures in the process, they would definitely want to have someone who's um, maybe been on the walk of faith a little bit longer to kind of journey with them. Now, they're not going to direct them in the sense of telling them what to do, but they're going to accompany them and guide them in the sense of helping them discover within themselves the answers that they're seeking and the clues to what God might be revealing to them kind of reflecting back to them what they hear the young person saying, and then uh, together finding guidance as to where God may be leading them. So, um, those are some uh, tips for you in terms of uh, what to do for people who may be discerning. Those are really great tips and really great advice, Father. It's a, it's, it's a lot of information out there, the vocation match. Actually, mm-hmm. no harm, no foul if you go on there and just play around, put your profile mm-hmm. in there. Yes. And, and while you, you, you know... Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have control over there, whether your information goes to these communities or not. So you can basically just have the benefit of seeing which communities you match with, mm-hmm. and you can leave it there. Mm-hmm. So if you're curious out there and listening to this, go check it out, Vocation Match. Yeah. 
and mm-hmm. and just see where that takes you. I think that's going to be a really great asset for uh, a lot of our listeners. Don't even know that uh, mm-hmm. it's never been said. It's never been posted. I've never mm-hmm. heard of it. And I've been right. trying to get people to to really look at vocation. <laughs> there we are. So, but here's here's a question that just came up on our Instagram sure. for you. Okay, and uh, it's from um, uh, a young youth minister. Um, from mm-hmm. St. Oscar Romero in, in um, Eastvale. And he asked, what is the top question you get asked from the faithful since your priesthood began? The top question I get asked by the faithful? Hmm. I would have to say that probably the top question I get asked is a sense of where is God in the midst of the pain I'm experiencing? And or why does a good God allow me to suffer and go through pain? That's something that I have experienced across the spectrum of life Mm -hmm. from that question being asked by parents struggling with a pregnancy, uh, struggling with losing a child midterm and or stillborn. I have uh, confronted that question with parents who brought a child to term and then lost a child as an infant, for instance. I have uh, wrestled with that question in terms of young adults and relationships that are breaking up or fractured marriages that are dissolving. I've also wrestled with that question with people who are suffering from terminal illnesses and chronic conditions, and even with my own Divine Word brothers at a point in my life Mm -hmm. where I was uh, serving in leadership of our community and my ministry was uh, helping our infirmed and elderly members uh, prepare to meet God uh, face-to-face in our uh, nursing home, nursing facility. And so, across the spectrum of life, I've been asked over and over again, you know, where is God in the midst of my suffering, and why does God allow me to suffer? And so, I think the best way for me to answer that would be to say, because it's kind of a question that's coming up again now, I was just asked the other day by one of our seminarians whether I uh, I felt that God was was challenging us with the coronavirus. And I said, well, the best way to answer that is to say that I feel challenged. I definitely do feel challenged to look at my life and its purpose and its value and how my life might need to change these days so that my life can be protected and also uh, keep safe uh, the lives of those around me. But it was the sense of saying that I don't know that God necessarily intends or wills something like the coronavirus into existence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, looking at the history of the world and seeing different pandemics and viruses happening over the course of history, it's obvious to me that God doesn't necessarily disallow or prohibit these things from happening. So that leads me then to then look at the cross and wonder about how God in God's own self did not prohibit God the Son, the divine word we've been talking about earlier, from embracing suffering and death on the cross on our behalf. If it was something to be ashamed of, I'm sure he could have found a different way to redeem us. But he allowed his Son to go through the most profound of all human experiences, which is the experience of death and mortality, which we all experience as part of our life. And through that, though, brought about something totally new, which had not existed before. And that was the idea of pain and suffering not being ends in and of themselves, but means to transformation through the resurrection and new life and new hope that came from that. And so, as we talked about earlier, feeling like we're already on Good Friday, even though we're several weeks away yet from Holy Mm -hmm. Week, 
But knowing that that Good Friday will inevitably lead to the resurrection and the new life of Easter Sunday, we truly are an Easter people. And so, a life which doesn't contain pain and suffering, I sometimes wonder if it would be a life that has truly discovered its full purpose and value because it's never been tested, it's never been questioned. Whereas the value of suffering in my life is often causing me to question and reappropriate the understanding of life's dignity, sanctity, and value in a more profound way. And therefore, I feel that even in the midst of this very unexpected, unwanted uh, crisis of the pandemic, that I, yes, I do feel challenged. And I feel that even though God may not have intended or willed it, that God is working through it, mm-hmm. and God is inviting me through these circumstances to get ever closer to Him and to the people around me who reveal God's face to me. So, that is probably the most profound question I've received and, and been asked uh, many times in my life and been asked even in recent days. Well, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for answering it as well, because uh, mm-hmm. it was definitely some sometimes that, that we've all gone through and asked that question. But, Absolutely. You know, I could sit here and just listen to you all day, but <laughs> all good things must come to an end. And and Father, you know, as we end all our podcasts, we always ask our, you know, our special guests what they would be, what patron saint would they be. Um, so, um, Father, mm-hmm. um, what would you be the patron saint of? I would be the patron saint of people who feel that they may not be worthy of God's love, but who desire to be loved and who desire to love. Because I have a feeling that I'm not alone in the fact Mm. that as that young 15-year-old, I really question whether God could be calling me because after all, God knows me. Look at what I've done and what I failed to do. But as I said earlier, then again, Jesus washed the feet of Peter, and he washed the mm-hmm. feet of Judas, and he called them to do good things for God. If Judas had been open to that invitation, I think his life would have gone in a different direction. Obviously, Peter's went through a profound transformation. Yes. So, I'd like to be the patron saint of people who feel that maybe they've been given one too many chances and, and haven't risen to the occasion, knowing that God is never exhausted in giving us a next and another chance to come to know our dignity, our goodness, and not just to know that, but to be that for others, because there are so many other people, if we ask these questions, who are struggling with the same, Mm -hmm. and God can and desires to use us to make a difference in their lives as well. So, if they can see us taking up the mantle in all humility with all of our weaknesses, letting God make up for us what is lacking because of God's ultimate superiority and and greatness and providence, but then God can use us even in our flawed nature to help a flawed and broken world to become more healed and well. Uh, That's what I'd like to be the patron saint of. Wonderful. I'm I'm definitely sure that you will be. You know, and it's a great thing. I you know, I forgot to give a shout out to our our diocesan ministry for young Catholics because they do this thing called YCAS. It's young Catholics actively serving today. And mm-hmm. I need a shout out with them because you just mentioned so many things about washing feet. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. very first day of this one week training that they provide mm-hmm. to uh, high school students is how to wash feet. 
<laughs> that's literally that. everything. It's like it's called White House, and this nice. is going to be in June of this year. So, wow. for you listeners who are interested in joining that, make sure mm. you contact your parish uh, youth minister or your catechist or or Amen. your uh, director of religious ed and get yourself to go. Um, it's really Amen. a great program. <clears throat> so, Father, how many languages do you speak? So, I confessed earlier that I studied French in high school. J'ai étudié le français au lycée. I don't know that I can say much more <laughs> than I studied French in high school. I studied uh, Spanish. Hablo un poquito de español también. Studied Spanish in the seminary. Uh, fun fact about me, I spent a year studying full-time Japanese or Nihongo in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, I can introduce myself, basically. And then finally, gusto kumbamati Wherever you are, I agree to a good day. I I do speak the Philippine or Tagalog language quite fluently, having spent four years on mission in the Philippines. And sometimes I speak English with a certain level of coherence as well on my better days. So, wow. Well, you know, as (laughs) as Filipinos, when when you when Filipinos fall in love with a person, they are just Mm -hmm. the whole family falls in love. And my whole Mm. family has been following you in Chicago. When you do the Simbangabi, they literally drove to come oh. and uh, so shout out to my sister Tess who uh, hey. drove out to. Uh, to I think go we to, got a selfie one you, time you in did. Gurney, Illinois, and sent it, it yes, to you. You did, did. St. Paul the Apostle Parish. <laughs> and so, Father, would you mind giving us your priestly blessing in Filipino? I would be. <laughs> I would be very happy to. I would be very happy to. Sumayin nyo ang Panginoon at sumayin nyo rin nuway ang pagbabaspas at pagpapala ng ating mapagmahal na Panginoon ay suma sa inyong lahat ngayon at magpakailanman sa ngala ng Ama, ng Anak, ng Espiritu Santo. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You're very welcome. Yeah. Walang anuman. Yeah. So that's all we have for this episode of This Connected. Thank you, Father Adam, for your spending time with us and our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe to This Connected on your favorite podcast platform so that you won't miss our weekly episodes. Email us your comments and questions to catholic.dad50 at gmail.com or follow us and send us a DM on our Instagram at catholic.dad. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, share this podcast. We also would appreciate if you consider supporting this podcast by becoming one of our patrons. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash disconnected and become one of our tier one, tier two, or tier three subscribers. Your support is supporting youth activities in our community. And again, as we end, remember, live a life of holiness. We'll be praying for you. Please pray for us. And most importantly, be blessed and be third. Thank you, Father, for really spending really quality time with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. Thank you so much. This Connected Podcast is brought to you by The Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest, but not too far away from home or the city? Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. With easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s 
with its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin, located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out The Cabin on Instagram at thecabin2021. Again, that's at thecabin2021. T-H-E-C-A-B-I-N 2021.